And if you've been with us during this series, we've been, uh, it's a five-week series, we're in week four today, and we've been using sort of as our framework for this whole series, this verse from Ephesians chapter two, because when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're not just talking about angels and demons and, and like the multiverse, like Thor versus Loki might, might be what you have in your head a little bit. When we're talking about spiritual warfare, Paul gives us from Ephesians 2, he gives us this great framework that we've been using for the last few weeks to understand it. He, he, we, t- we talked a couple weeks ago about the world. And what we meant by that is the course of this world or the, some people call it the world system, that the world system is, is actually actively working to try to pull us away from a pursuit of God, from experiencing God in a relationship with God. The world system does that. And so we talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about the flesh. And the flesh is, is, is the word, we don't, we don't mean just our bodies. When we say the flesh, we're talking about this inner pull, this pull, this desire within us, this war that is waging within us, this inner desire to go our own way instead of to go God's way. Well, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, he categorizes that as spiritual warfare as well. See, spiritual warfare isn't just the weird stuff, like the, the kooky angels and demons and Satan type stuff. It's not just the otherworldly stuff. Spiritual warfare, I hope you've learned so far in this series, if you've, been, if you've been coming, spiritual warfare is the regular everyday stuff too. It's the world and the flesh. And so last week, Jared did a great job talking about how there are these two forces inside of us. And I love in Galatians 5, it said, Paul explained it like this, the author of Galatians and Ephesians. He said, there are these two, these two natures inside of me that are just battling. And then what he said is, the result is you're not free to carry out your good intentions. How many of you have ever had good intentions, like you really wanted to do the right thing and you just couldn't, you couldn't do it? Raise your hand. Is it just me who, I, like, I'm not, I've, re, the older I get, the more I realize I am not free to carry out my good intentions. Like Tracy and I will have a, we'll be having a conversation. We don't call them arguments. We have conversations. We'll be having like this conversation. And in my head, I'm like, I want to come back at her with a zinger. But I'm, t- but there's this like, there's this, there's this inner, there's this inner thing that goes on. I'm like, it's like I've got a little angel here and a little demon here. And, and the angel's saying, don't say it. Don't, don't bring it up. Just don't even sit. Just shut your mouth and you're going to be good. And, but then the, the, demon, the demon's over here saying, say it. You need to say it. Say that passive aggressive thing. Go ahead and put it out there, you know. And, I'm t- and I tell myself, I'm not, I've, I've already made up my mind. I'm not going to say it. I am a, I'm a good husband. I'm a good person. And I, my good intentions are going to win out. And then I say it, Right. <laughs> And that's Paul. Paul's like, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Or, or another example is this morning I get up, we're, we're, cha- we're, we're flipping, this, is that flip the strip? We're, we're taking the park, park strip and we're pulling all the stuff out of it. And uh, t- we had trees in there and we had, we had grass and it was just impossible. So we're, we finally made the decision we're going to do. I don't know why we're doing it now when our children don't live at home anymore. We don't have free labor anymore. Now we decided, it was stupid, stupid. <laughs> But anyway, we're flipping the strip, and we're old, so we're like, we're just going to do it a little bit at a time, you know, just an hour at a time, like, because we're, we're out there working in the heat, and so this morning, I wake up early. I said, Trace, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I'm going to do a little digging before I get in the shower and get ready for church, so she's like, great. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm only going to be out there for like an hour, 
So I'll, you, need to, you need to come get me when it's like 8.30. Come let me know, because I can, you know, the way I am, I can kind of get into a project, and I'm in it, and then I'm, pretty soon I've forgotten, and I wouldn't have been here to preach, right? Or I'd show up in my, you know, like covered in dirt. She's like, all right, I'll, I'll come get you. So I'm out there digging and just really doing the work. I mean, just do, like a good man, doing, doing the work. And finally, I'm like, where is Tracy? And she's not coming out. She's not getting me. I'm like, she forgot. Clearly, she forgot, you know. Why do I have to do everything around here? So I, I'm like, all right, fine. I'm going to go in. So I get in and start getting ready to take a shower. And she walks into the bathroom. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, what's going on with you? Why didn't you come get me? I told you to come get me. She said, Brian, you were out there for 15 minutes. <laughs> good intentions. See, I had these good intentions, and I'm out there working really hard. I'm like, what is going on? I've been out here for an hour, probably an hour and a half. You are not free to carry out your good intentions. That's the flesh. That's, the, that's what the Bible calls the flesh. You've got, so you've got the world trying to pull you into its current away from God. You've got the flesh inside of you that is, that is warring with, if you're a Christian, it's warring with the Holy Spirit who's inside of you. These two natures are just fighting each other so that you, what you want to do, you don't end up doing. What you don't want to do, you end up doing, is the way Paul described it in Romans chapter 7. So, so, so far in the series, we've talked about those two things, and those are what we would call normal spiritual warfare. Again, Paul calls that spiritual warfare. So if, you, if when we started the series, you feel like you're the kind of person who doesn't engage in spiritual warfare, no, 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 you do. We all do, because we all experience the pull of the world, and we all experience the war of the flesh. But today, we're finally going to get to the otherworldly stuff. Today, we're finally going to get to the weird, creepy, like, Late night radio stuff. Have you ever been like driving? You're on a road trip. We would do this all the time. Going to Chicago and coming back from Chicago, driving through Nebraska at like three in the morning. You don't get any. You don't get any reception except those AM channels. Is it just me or is like okay? Coast to coast radio, and you turn on this just weird three. The the kind of people who are only up at three in the morning to listen to this, like aliens and demons and all kinds of stuff. And it was engaging. It kept me awake. I'll give you that. But I remember, I remember listening to this saying, I'm, a, I'm kind of a math guy. I'm like, this isn't real. This is not, this is, this is so kooky. Like who would buy into, who would believe this? And some of you might be here today saying that about what we're about to preach on. Maybe, maybe the world and the flesh are like, that resonates, I get it. We can all relate to the everyday spiritual battle stuff. But then he talks about the prince of the power of the air. Now he's talking about the otherworldly stuff. Now he's talking about the devil. And you're probably, and I'm, again, I'm just trying to relate to you. I get it. I would feel the same way. I would feel the same way. Because I'm the guy who laughs at those radio stations late at night. But we need to take this seriously because it's not just kooky. I'm not saying aliens, but the demonic stuff is real. The demonic stuff, according to the Bible, is real. Now, our first value as a church is we look to God and his word in all that we do. So I don't, I don't take anything you're going to hear today. We've, we've, I've probably done as much prep for today's sermon as I have for any sermon all year long because I wanted to make sure to get this right. I didn't want to just tell you what I thought about Satan and demons, 
which we're going to talk about today, all about Satan and demons. But I wanted to make sure that you understood what God's Word said about it. And right at the outset, I want to tell you this. God's Word doesn't say much about it. And I'm good with that. I actually think that's a good thing. That's why we don't fixate on Satan and demons. If you're a visitor today, I encourage you to come back next week. We're not going to be talking about Satan and demons next week. We don't do this very often at all. I know some churches make their whole ministry around, design their whole ministry around this kind of stuff. The Bible doesn't say very much about it. It really doesn't. Like, I had to work really hard to not, not just believe what I grew up thinking about it or whatever I heard about it through the grapevine as a Christian, but like, really, what does the Bible really say about Satan, his origin story? What does the Bible really say about demons and demonic activity? And it's surprisingly little, which I think we should take a cue from. We also shouldn't be fixated on it. The Bible says a lot more about Jesus, about the gospel, about salvation, about forgiveness. But it does say some stuff about Satan and demons. Satan does exist. Demons do exist. It's a real thing. It's not just late night radio stuff. And so today we're going to give you 10 things about Satan and demons, and we're going to start with five things about demons. Now, if you're taking notes today, I'll encourage you, it's going to be hard to take notes because we're going to fly through this, and we're not just going to tell you the thing, we're going to tell you where the thing comes from in Scripture because I don't, we, don't, <coughs> we don't want to make stuff up here. We want to tell you what the Bible says about demons. Five things. We're going to go fast. Again, you can find all this online at PursueGod.org if you want to, take, if you want to share this with a friend or if you want to dig more into these things. Number one. Demons are fallen angels. Demons weren't created demons. God didn't create demons when he created everything else. He created everything good. He didn't create evil. He didn't create bad. So demons are fallen angels. They were created as angels. They rebelled against God. And then they, they fell, and that's when they became demons or evil angels. That's what demons are. They're just evil angels. 2 Peter 2 is one of the verses that tells us this. It says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they're being, ju- where they're being held until the day of judgment. Now, if you pay attention to that, to that pa- there's only a couple passages that give us the origin of demons. This is one of them. I'm going to show you the next one, the other one in just a second. But if you pay attention to that, it sounds like those demons are already bound. That those, right? It says that he threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness and they're being held until the day of judgment. So those demons are not the ones that you read about that Jesus interacts with, that Jesus casts out, that Jesus speaks, you know, sends into pigs and they go over cliffs, if you know the stories. So clearly... Those demons are different than the demons that we might interact with in the world today. And that leads us to the second point, which is that some are bound already and some are not. So we saw that verse in Peter, but, but this verse is the other one, Jude 1.6. And I remind you, the angels, notice they're angels, who did not stay within the limits of authority that God gave them, so they rebelled against God, But they left the place where they belonged, and so God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So so the Jude demons are the same demons as the second Peter demons that I just showed you, 
They're fallen angels that are already bound. Now, if that's all we had about demons in the Bible, we would say, okay, demons are fallen angels who are bound. But clearly that's not all we have because we have verses like this. Ephesians 6, 12. For we're fighting not against flesh and blood enemies. Not, we're not fighting against physical enemies, Paul writes, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places or in the heavenly realm. So these evil spirits are demons. So clearly, some demons are free. Some demons are active and again, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, and you, you see Jesus and his disciples interacting, they're interacting a lot of times with people who are influenced by demons, people who are demonized, and Jesus is casting demons out and doing all kinds of stuff. So those must not be the Jude 1.6 demons. Those must be the Ephesians 6.12 demons. So some, some demons are bound already, and some are free. And the ones that are free are the ones that we're dealing with. So that's the second thing. So that leads to the third thing. How powerful are they? Demons have very limited power. Remember, demons are angels, that's all. They're not equal with God. Demons, demons are created beings, and so that means they're very limited. So for example, demons can't read your mind. You need to know that. Demons can't read your mind. Demons are not omniscient. Demons, that means all-knowing. They're not omniscient. They're not like God. They're not godlike. Demons aren't godlike. They're not divine. So, so demons, demons can hear us. Demons can listen to what's going on. And demons can draw conclusions. And, and they're going to draw conclusions because of what's, just like anyone else, they're going to draw conclusions based on what they hear, and they're going to try to establish footholds to, to get strongholds in your life. That's how demons are going to work in our, in our world. So they're a lot like Alexa. <laughs> right? Haven't you noticed this? Like you're, you're talking with your wife, hey, I need underwear. Could you, when you go to the store, could you get me some underwear? And, and later on that day, like all your ads are about underwear. And I remember when this first started happening a few years ago, I'm like, what is going on right now? Like I didn't, I'm not real quick, I'm not real smart, so it took me a while to realize that they're just listening all the time. Like if you got an iPhone in your pocket right now, you're going to get underwear ads this afternoon, okay? Because, they, because your iPhone heard me talking about, you just, you just watch, you just wait, right? And that's how, that's how demons work. They're just always listening. They're always listening. And that what they're going to do is they're going to target you. They're going to target you based on what they observe. But they're not all-powerful. They're not omniscient. They're just paying attention. That's what they're doing. They're not omnipresent. That means everywhere all the time. Demons can only be at one place at any time. They're not omnipotent. All these omni words are God words. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. That those are words that only apply to God. Demons aren't like that. They're not all-powerful. They're not omnipotent. And so we need to understand what, what it says here in 1 John. You belong to God, my dear children. You've already won over, victory over those people. He's talking about false teachers. Because here, look, because the Spirit who lives in you, notice the capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who lives in you 
is greater than the Spirit who lives in this world. So the Holy Spirit in you, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you is far greater than any of these battles that we fight with demons. You need to know that. You need to be encouraged by that. Which leads us to number four about demons. Demons, every Christian can fight demons. And I I think I've lost control here, Bruce. It's a demon. Let's cast it out. There we go. Every Christian can fight demons. You do not, you do not have to have a seminary degree to fight demons. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a priest like the exorcist or something like that. And there's this special incantation that we know, that we learned, that only we know. So you better call us when you feel like you're dealing with something demonic in your house or with your family or in your marriage or with your kids. If you feel like there's something that is demonic that's going on, you don't have to call in the big guns. Although we'll, we'll come if you call us. And we've many times, we've, we've gone to people's homes and we've prayed and we've, and, we've pray, and we've prayed over situations and we do it all the time. So we'd love to. I'm not saying that we're too busy for you. I'm just saying you don't need a pastor or a priest. If you have Jesus, you can do warfare with demons. That's what the Bible says. Look, at, I love this verse in Luke 10. Jesus had, set, had sent out the disciples, including not just the 12 disciples, but 72. So it's like, you know, he had his three, and then he had the 12, and then he had the 72. And in Luke 10, he had sent out the 72. So that this is like the, the larger group of disciples. Let's just call them the kind of the regular folks. I mean, the 12 disciples were regular too, by the way. They were all regular. None of them, none of them went to seminary. None of, none of them, none of them really under, fully understood scripture. Probably most of them couldn't even read. So even the 12 were ordinary, but trust me, the 72 were really ordinary, like extra. No, that's not how to say it. They were really, really ordinary, like super ordinary, not extraordinary. They weren't extraordinary at all is what I'm trying to say. They come back from going out on the mission field telling people about Jesus, and look at what they said to Jesus. They returned joyfully reporting to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And I love that, that they were shocked by that. They were like, I could, we couldn't believe it because they had seen Jesus casting out demons. They'd seen Jesus doing spiritual warfare, but they didn't realize that they had that same authority. And maybe you're here today and you don't realize you have that same authority. You have that authority, but notice where the authority comes from. He says, when we use your name. The authority that we have over demons as Christians is in the name of Jesus. And so we can do warfare with demons by using the name of Jesus. I don't know if you heard Pastor John in week one talked about, he's our Logan pastor, he talked about going and praying. A family said his, their son was in the psych ward and they wanted, they, uh, they, they went over to pray in the psych ward. They went over to pray for, for um, their son and they get to the psych ward and started walking by doors and seeing patients in rooms and they said they felt like they saw demons over the beds of the patients accusing, this is what Satan does, accusing, accusing, and just speaking out horrible things over this patient. And they said, we stopped in that room and we, we said in the name of Jesus, we speak against that. 
and they were gone. And that gives me chills just to hear that. And again, some of you might say, come on. Come on. That's like coast-to-coast radio stuff. And I get it. I get it. I think I lean more your way also. But when you read Scripture, this stuff was real. And I've seen it in my ministry, and I think we need to take it seriously. But you need to know that we fight them in the name of Jesus. They, ha- they can't stand the name of Jesus. They can't combat, combat that. One last thing about demons, because everyone asks it. Not everybody, but a lot of people ask this. They say, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And so that's number five. Demons can't possess Christians. Scripture tells us that he's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he's promised. The Holy Spirit's in there, trust me, ain't no demon gonna get in there. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and there's no place for, de- for a demon to possess you. Now, by the way, demon possession isn't really even necessarily a biblical thing, because if you have a translation where you're reading that someone was possessed by a demon, actually the, the word in Greek is they were demonized. So even when you think about possessions, I want to make sure that you understand that if you, if you define possession as you're allowing the Satan to have a foothold in your life, okay, I'll give you that. Because Satan can have a foothold. Demons can have a foothold in your life. But there's just different degrees of influence that you allow a demon to have. And if you're a Christian, that influence can never be total. Like where you can't make any decisions for yourself and you are completely controlled by a demon. And the truth is that can't happen for a Christian. But demons want to establish footholds in your life and a demon doesn't need to have total control of you. They just want a little bit of control of you. And so that's why we have to recognize that we need to fight against the enemy in all of his forms. So those are five things about demons. Now let's talk about five things about Satan. And I want to, this first one, we're going to spend a little time in the Old Testament on. And I'm going to go quick, but we could, I, we could do like sermons on this, okay? But here's the first thing you need to know is that Satan is just a fallen angel. That's all. He's just a fallen angel. Which means, think about it, which means Satan is a demon. That's all. That's all Satan is. He's a demon. Nothing more. He's not Jesus' brother. He's not equal to God. He's not, he's not this like Thor versus Loki, like these two are right there. They're just right, they're right there. It is not even a fair fight. Jesus is creator of the universe. Satan is a created angel who fell from heaven like all the other demons. He just has higher rank than all the other demons. That's all Satan is. He's a fallen angel. So everything we said about demons applies to Satan. And then a few things more. But I want, to know, I want you to know that finding this in Scripture is hard. Like I, we had to work really hard to find this in Scripture because the origin story of Satan isn't real clear from Scripture, like the origin story of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas. Like we know the origin story of Jesus, that Jesus always was, that the Son of God always existed. He, was at the, he, he existed before the creation of the earth. By his power, the, earth, the world was formed. And then he took on flesh 2,000 years ago in the form of Jesus. So we, we know that origin story because Scripture talks about it all over the place. 
Scripture says very little about Satan's origin story, which personally I'm fine with. But here are two places in Scripture that we get it. Number one is in Isaiah 14. Now, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's writing, Isaiah 14, I encourage you to read this for yourself, but he's writing about a king, an earthly king, and then all of a sudden, Isaiah starts saying these words, and it sounds like he's not talking about that king anymore. He's talking about someone else. So most theologians think at this point he's talking about Satan. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. Shining star in Latin is the word for Lucifer. You have been thrown down to the earth, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Now, a lot of times in the Old Testament, when it talks about God's stars, it's talking about angels. So this is where many scholars say, I don't think Isaiah is prophesying anymore about the king of Babylon, I think it is, in Isaiah 14. I think he's talking about someone else. Because the king of Babylon isn't a shining star. The king of Babylon didn't say, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. That sounds more like what Satan would have said. So many scholars believe that this is a prophecy about Satan. And then there's one more. Again, Ezekiel, prophet in the Old Testament, is talking about the king of Tyre, another king in his day. And all of a sudden, in Ezekiel 28, he starts talking He starts using language that doesn't sound like he's talking about the king of Tyre anymore. He says this, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now think about it, who was in Eden? Adam, Eve, and the serpent, Satan. So as soon as you see this, you're like, I don't think the king of Tyre was in Eden. So I think probably Ezekiel is now prophesying about something else. And it gets more interesting. It says, I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created. In other words, God did not create demons or Satan. He created them angels. But then until the day evil was found in you. And so he says, I expelled you, O mighty guardian. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. So for those of you who have ever heard that about Satan, that Satan got arrogant, that Satan got proud, that Satan wanted to be above God, that Satan, that Satan tried to create a, a rebellion in heaven against God, it comes from these passages here. And one more in Romans chapter 12 if you want to look that up. But that's it. Like there's no book of the Bible that says, here's how Satan came to be. Here's what happened. And again, I personally love that. Because God, I don't think God wants us to be fixated on Satan and demons, but I do think he wants us to be wise. So number one, Satan is just a fallen angel. Number two, what we can say for sure is that Satan is opposed to God's work. In fact, the name Satan literally means adversary. That's what it means. Satan is an adversary. Jesus said it like this. The thief's purpose, he was talking about Satan, is to steal and kill and destroy But my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. So Jesus said, Satan wants to kill you. I want to do the opposite of that. I want to give you life. And so Satan is an adversary. That's number two. Number three, Satan hunts vulnerable Christians. A couple years ago, or not a couple, 10 plus years ago, the family went up to Montana. Some friends of 
of a friend. They own a place up in Montana with a bunch of like exotic animals, like a grizzly bear and a, and a lion, like a massive African lion and a black panther. These are all caged up. And we got to go up there and kind of get a personal tour of the place. And I remember we stood in front of the panther cage. AJ, our son, was probably six or seven at the time. And that panther was just pacing back and forth in that cage, the length of the cage, fixing his eyes on AJ. Like staring him down. It was creepy. Like staring him down. I mean, I'm standing there. Tracy's standing there, the, the owner of the place is standing there, AJ, Kenzie, and AJ's the littlest one. He's looking at this little panther, and this panther did not take his eyes off of AJ. And the owner said, hey, AJ, I think you're lunch. <laughs> and it, see, it's, it's, it's just in a panther. The way a panther is built is a panther is going to look for the youngest and the weakest, and that's the one that it's going to try to go after. And this is exactly what Peter is saying. He's saying, this is, how, this is how Satan works. Stay alert, he says. Stay alert. Because your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Notice it doesn't say looking for everyone to devour. Satan, does, Satan knows he can't get everyone. Just like a lion knows, he can't take down that whole herd of wildebeests. So what does a lion do? A lion looks for the young, the weak, the one that gets isolated. That's, that's what a lion is looking for, and that's the one the lion's going to go after, and Satan works the same way. Satan is going to go after our young. Parents, I want you to hear this. I mean, if there's anything you, you take away from this series, I, I hope that you take away that you're going to be intentional with your kids in helping them fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because you better believe that Satan is going after our kids. Parents, you better believe that Satan is going to try to pick off our young. And we need to be protective. Have you ever seen those shows? I think it's the wildebeests where when a lion comes, they all get in a, they all get in a circle and they, they like, we're going to talk about this next week. They, it's almost like locking shields. They, they, and what do they do in the middle of the circle is they put their young. That's how we need to be with our kids. We, we need to make sure that we do not expose them to the enemy and his schemes because, because Satan is looking for the vulnerable. That's who he's going to go after. He's going to go after the young and he's going to go after the weak among us. So Christians, if you're not in the word, if you're not going hard after God, Satan's going hard after you. And you're vulnerable. So be ready. So how does he go after us? What is this tool? Well, Satan's greatest tool, according to scripture, is deceit. We kind of learned this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the, the battle with the world. The, the, way the, the way spiritual warfare works is, is Satan is gonna use the world system to try to, Fool us, fool us into believing a half truth, and now pretty soon we we buy the we buy the full lie. We take the bait and we buy the full lie. Same thing works with our flesh. He's going to fool us. He's going to say it's no big deal. I know you've, you're an alcoholic, but it's no big deal. One drink's not going to kill you. That's deceit. Satan's going to fool you. He's going to tempt you. He's going to fool you. He's going to try to pull you away. Or that show. Oh, that show. I know it's not you. 
You probably wouldn't watch that with your parents, but your parents aren't here. Just go ahead and watch that. It's no big deal. It's not going to hurt. And again, he gets a foothold. Satan gets a foothold. And then, and then eventually, it's not just a foot in the door. He's got his shoulder in the door. And pretty soon, he's, he's in the room with you now. And now he's closing the door behind you. And he's keeping God out because he's established a stronghold in your life. That's how Satan works. And he works by deceiving you, by fooling you. Jesus said it like this in John 8. Satan has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. Now, Jesus was a pretty gracious dude. Like, you saw him interacting with disciple, with his disciples, with Peter, with Pharisees. He was usually pretty gracious. He's not very gracious right here, is he, when he's talking about Satan? He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. That's who Satan is. He, that's how he works. He will lie and deceive, and so we have to be ready. We have to be alert. We can't be fooled. One last thing, number 10 because I want to make sure to end on a positive note. We've talked about a lot of scary negative things, but I want to make sure you know how the story ends. The Bible tells us. Satan will someday face God's judgment. Revelation 20, the third to last chapter in the Bible, or second to last, I can't remember, third or second, 21 or 22 chapters in the Bible, anyway. It says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever forever and ever. That's awesome. Satan's, Satan already knows how the story's going to end for him. It's just a matter of time. Here's what I want to say to you. Why wait for that day? Guys, we have the authority now. We have the authority now in the name of Jesus. We have the authority now to say no more. We are not going to let the enemy establish footholds in our lives anymore, in our marriages, with our kids, in our workplace, in our minds. We're not going to let the enemy do it anymore. We don't have to wait for him to be thrown into hell in Revelation 20 at the end of all time and, and at the end of world history. Like, we, we can appropriate the victory that Jesus has already won for us on the cross. We can appropriate it for our lives now. And some of us here today need to do that. Some of us here today need to say, I'm not going to let the enemy have his way in my marriage anymore. I'm not going to let him have his way in my mind anymore. I'm not going to let him have his way in my family history anymore. Some people, maybe you have a spirit of anger or of bitterness or of alcoholism or of pornography. Maybe you have a, a spirit of deception over your life. Maybe there's even a spirit of, of false religion that your families are dealing with. Like we can begin to do war against that stuff even now. And I want to invite you to do that. We're going to call the worship team up. We're going to sing a, a last song and, and really like sing this in a, in a spirit of doing war. And then when we're done with that, we're, we're just going to invite you if, you. if you want some help praying over some of these areas in, in your life, we'd love to pray with you before you go. And don't forget, by the way, Saturday night, we're going to do this for like an hour and a half at Riverdale. So join us as we, as we really do warfare as we're wrapping up this series and join us in the other campuses as we come together for a prayer, a prayer and worship night on Saturday night. But let's pray now, let's worship, and let's do some more. God, I, I thank you that you have, you've already won the victory. I thank you, Lord God, that when we read Scripture, uh, we know how the story ends. But God, today I pray that now that we've gotten wise about how Satan and his demons work, God, I pray that today we would just say, I've had enough. You're not going to have your way anymore. No more footholds. No more strongholds. 
And God, I, I pray that in the name of Jesus that those things would be done. We pray against addiction in all of its forms. We pray against sexual immorality, pornography, and lust. We, we pray against greed and bitterness. We pray against hatred. We pray against unforgiveness. Jesus, today I pray against the spirit of dissension and division. We pray against false religions because these aren't flesh and, and blood battles. These are spiritual battles. These are battles that have a spiritual component to them, which means that there are spirits of false religion and of anger and of immorality and of, of alcoholism. And, and so we pray against those spirits. We pray against the influence. We pray against the lies, the deceit. We pray against Satan himself. Satan has no authority in our lives and in our families anymore. And Jesus, we take authority over it in your name, not in our names, but in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's